Praise God. Well, the title of today's sermon is Jesus is Our Collateral Damage. But first, let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word today, speak to our hearts. Challenge us, O oh God, to see those areas in which you're calling us to move forward in you. We ask for your wisdom, your knowledge, and your understanding that somebody may be drawn closer to you, somebody might be saved, and all of us might move from where we are to where it is you would have us be. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you are at war, and your squad's mission is to infiltrate a city and locate a particular building because you believe that building is being used to manufacture weapons for the enemy. So you locate the building, you call in for an airstrike, you give the coordinates to the person in charge of launching the guided missile, the missile comes and it completely destroys the building. But the damage goes much further than just the building. You see, the building is engulfed in flames, which in turn burns down a hospital next door. You are still there and you can hear the screams of the people trapped in the hospital. And you realize that most of the patients that have come there for treatment are going to die in the flames. Those in the hospital are not the target of the attack, but they are what we call collateral damage. Now, we have seen collateral damage happen far too often in our own neighborhoods. One gang wants to teach another gang a lesson, and they go shooting on a shooting spree in broad daylight. And someone who happens to be getting gas or crossing the street or sitting in a car or looking out a window is hit by one of these stray bullets and killed. They were unintended targets. They were like those in the hospital. They became collateral damage. We can see it even more on a personal level in our homes. Husband and wives forget the vows they once made to each other because of a variety of circumstances, and they choose to get a divorce. It seems as though the divorce is going to make things matter better. But some of the children are not under, able to understand why is this happening to my home? especially when everyone is saying they love God. They can't get beyond if we are truly loving God, truly serving God, then why can't we get along? And the children become collateral damage from the explosion of the divorce. Or if in our own homes, we get upset with one another. We've refused to forgive one another. Brothers and sisters stop speaking to each other for years. Their children, who should be cousins having a good time with each other, don't even know each other. They become collateral damage. Whenever there is a fight, whenever there is a battle, whenever there is a struggle taking place, or whenever sin is allowed to take over, there is going to be collateral damage for somebody. How many of you can look at your own life and see there were times when you found yourself being collateral damage? You know, we make the mistake of believing or equating that God is good means God will keep all bad things from happening to me 
Or if I make the right choices, I will be protected from all harm. Now that sounds good, but unfortunately, that's not what the Bible teaches. It certainly is not what Jesus teaches. Believe it or not, we even become collateral damage from the battles that rage in the heavenlies in the spiritual world. The thing about being collateral damage is that there is no answer to the question of why. Sometimes you just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But that doesn't help your grieving family members for somebody to come up to you and say at the funeral, you know, Jack would be with us today if only he hadn't been in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's no comfort in those words. And you know, when we ask the question why, that even assumes there is supposed to be meaning in this world. There is supposed to be someone in charge somewhere to make sure that things kind of balance each other out. So just asking the question why lets us know that we think there is a God somewhere who's watching all over this. Now, we like to think that God is obligated to give us a why answer to all of our questions. But again, that's not what the Bible teaches. The scripture teaches that God's ways are not our ways. And God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God will even keep some things secret from us. And when God does, can we still believe God is good even when it looks as though God is not good to us personally in our situation? I want you to meet a lady, a lady I will call Verda, because the Bible does not tell us her name. And rarely is Verda given credit for all the pain she suffered because her pain came from secondhand collateral damage. Verda, she was a beautiful, upper-middle-aged woman, happily married. She and her husband were known throughout the land, the community, as being wealthy philanthropists. They gave money to where it was needed the most. And they help far more people than most of us could even imagine helping. She and her husband, they had 10 children. There were seven boys, three girls. It was a very close-knit family. And that closeness extended into the next generation. The boys who were now adults, they took turns having a reunion-type party once a year. And they always invited their younger sisters to join them. And Verda and her husband, they were quite wealthy with several successful businesses, but the day-to-day operations were kind of left to their employees to run. And then came that morning when, when Verda got up and she just had a feeling that somehow today was going to be different. You ever had that feeling where you just couldn't put your finger on it, but you just knew something was going to happen that day? Well, she and her husband, something had come up at the last minute and uh, they could not make it to the family gathering at, I'll call him James, James's house, who was their 
oldest son. But everybody else in the family was going to be there because James really knew how to throw a good family barbecue party. And then that day, while Verna is there, there's a knock on the door, and with it came the bad news that their oxen and donkey business had been completely stolen from them. Their employees had all been killed, and the thieves had gotten away with all the animals. And before she could catch her breath, good, another person showed up. And this one reported that the sheep farm and the wool industry that they had had just gone up in flames. They said it looked like fire just fell out of the sky and it destroyed the wool factory. It killed all the employees and it wiped out all of the herd of sheep. Wow. This was a little much to take all in the same day. And as she went to sit down to think about this double loss, another person showed up and said, the transportation business we had is gone. There were three raiding bands. They killed all the employees. They took off with all the camels. Rhoda didn't know how she and her husband was going to bring this news to the children. How do you tell your kids the inheritance that they had been promised is all gone? How do you tell them that we're in financial ruin? And while she's thinking about this, she gets the most devastating news of all, as if today wasn't already bad enough. The final door on the knock informed her that someone had seen what looked like a tornado just kind of come down and touch out of the sky right in front of her oldest son's house when everybody was in celebrating and the tornado just completely leveled the house and went back up. But down below, everybody in the house had been killed. All seven of her boys, all three of her girls, as well as the servants in the home. She was absolutely devastated. Who wouldn't have been? Could thing have gotten any worse? It wasn't that long after she had buried her kids with her husband at her side that tragedy hit again. One day, Verda's husband was walking around strong and healthy, and the next day, bam! No diagnosis, no symptoms, no nothing. He began to be covered with ugly, painful, open sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He was in such pain and misery. He didn't even want to eat. The smell of his breath from the sickness inside of him was horrible. He could barely sleep at night from all the pain that he was in. And Verda, looking at her husband at times, she was thinking she would rather see him die than for him to go on suffering like this. Now, if you were in Verda's shoes, what would you be feeling at this moment? Would you still be able to declare that God is good? Would you want to ask God, God, what have I done to deserve this? Would you want to know why is this happening to me? You know, I can tell you what Verda did that caused all this to come into her life just by retracing some steps of her life.
You want to know where Verda went wrong? Verda chose a good-looking man to marry. A man who loved God, a man who had a strong faith in God, a man who had the favor of God upon his life. She chose a man who was faithful, righteous, merciful, and worked for justice for those who had been denied. Now, from our viewpoint, that's the kind of man we want for our daughters to marry. That's the kind of man we want our sisters to marry. That's the kind of man some of you are hoping you run into to marry. But because she made this wise and what I would consider biblical choice, she became a victim of collateral damage. She was not the intended target. Her link to all the pain, the suffering, and the loss she had in her life came because she made a decision to marry a man by the name of Job. Job himself was a victim of collateral damage from a battle raging between God and Satan. Satan was determined to prove no one would worship God or be faithful to God unless God bribed them to do so by giving them wealth, blessings, happiness, and a healthy body. Satan was saying to God, if you let me take these things away from your so-called servants, I guarantee you, they will curse you to your face. My friend, what does your life say about whether or not Satan is right about God's people? Will you only serve God if he comes through with the things you want for your life? Will you only serve God if he meets these prerequisites or these conditions before you will even consider the claims of Jesus Christ upon your life? If you lost everything but your soul and your ability to serve God, would you still serve him? Have you come to that point in your life in which you realize God really is the source of all the things you think you own in life. You see, losses will affect us in one of two ways. We can become better or we can become bitter. One thing for sure, we cannot control whether or not we will be a part of some collateral damage. We certainly can't control when we'll be a part of collateral damage. Because by definition, we don't even know it's about to happen. You know, I'm not sure why God allowed the creation and the spread of the coronavirus. You know, it did get our attention that we are all vulnerable to death. It did force us to realize that the control we think we have in this life is all but an illusion. One thing for sure, though, is that We have all been collateral damage in the wake of the coronavirus. And some of us have suffered a lot more severely than others. But unfortunately, in the next few months, the focus will be on blaming one politician after another one on who should have done what and when it should have been done. And if I had been in charge, then this would have happened and so on. 
What we will do is we will go back to thinking we are little gods capable of producing, producing perfect solutions to any human problem that comes up. I doubt if there has been much humbling of ourselves or much turning from our wicked ways in order to seek God. We will ignore that there is a spiritual war going on that we have little or no control over. Did the reality of COVID-19 push you closer to God or further away from God? I wonder if it's been our test from Satan challenging God on what he would do, what, what, what we would do if he could strike fear all over the world at the same time over something they cannot see and cannot control. Or I wonder if he was saying, well, okay, God, give me the chance to take away their job, their money, their dreams, their plans, their security, and see what happens. Or I wonder if he said, just just let me tear the church apart and put it into little pieces so that they can't meet and get together and see how many of them will still be faithful to you. You know, when Job went through his part one COVID-19 experience of losing everything, he humbled himself. He fell to the ground in worship and said in Job chapter 1, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In other words, Job is saying, even though my circumstances might say otherwise, I realize that God is still good. Job said this having no idea why he had gone through what he had gone through in the loss of his family, his employees, his businesses, and his possessions. It was not long after COVID part one that COVID part two came slamming back into his life with an experience that severely attacked his body. There were festering sores all over his body. The pain was immense. His friends, when they came to comfort him, they could barely recognize him. His wife, she couldn't even get close to him. This man who had done everything he could to serve God and to be an example for others looked like a dead man walking among the living. He was experiencing collateral damage from a battle raging in the heavens. He had no idea of what he had done for him to be suffering like this. You see, the target for what was going on in the heavenlies was the destruction of the genuineness of Job's faith and confidence in God. The collateral damage was what it did to Job's physical body. You know, somehow people have believed the message that saying they love God will put a protection hedge around them and nothing bad will happen to them. 
That's not the message of the gospel. We need to stop telling people, just come to Jesus and all your problems will be over. Your problems may just be beginning. God never promised us an easy life with constant 24-hour protection. You ask the 620 Nigerian Christians who have been murdered by Muslim militants this year about what does it mean to be faithful to God even unto death. Now, none of us like to go through trials and fewer, even fewer of us go seeking after them. But if we have a faith, and if we have a faith like Job, it is going to be tested. And the only way that test is going to happen is by experiencing some collateral damage in our lives. You know, one of Jesus' disciples, actually one of the best known, was Peter. And Peter wrote, wrote his book, First Peter, to a group of Christians who were experiencing a lot of collateral damage in their lives. You see, the emperor Nero in the city of Rome, hundreds of miles away, Nero had set the city of Rome on fire so that he could rebuild it the way he wanted to. But when he was the one suspected of setting it on fire, he needed a scapegoat. So he blamed the Christians. And the Christians now being persecuted throughout the Roman Empire for doing something they didn't know anything about. But Peter writes to them in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, saying, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to you so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, my friends, these bodies that we have are all going to perish. And when you get my age, you realize they already perish. We are not going to take them to heaven with us. We will be taking our faith that has been proven to be genuine with us to heaven because that is what is going to result in praise, glory, and honor in the presence of Jesus Christ. Job was attacked by Satan with open sores covering his entire body. He sat in ashes and used broken pieces of pottery to try and scrape the open wounds that was dripping with a liquid here was a man who used to sit in the place of honor at the city gates. He is now sitting out near the trash pile in ashes with beggars outside the city. Can't you see Job asking, Why, God, what have I done to deserve this? Job's wife, whom I named Verda, had already been through a lot through her losses. And now to see her husband in this predicament was just too much for her. 
she reached her breaking point. She was ready to give up on the idea of God being good. So she basically told her husband, look, honey, stop holding out for God to do a miracle. Let go of your righteous living. Go ahead and curse God and die. And you know what? Verda was acting exactly as Satan predicted we would act. Satan said, if things got bad enough or ugly enough for us, then we would curse God to his face. But Job held on to his faith. He said to Verda, he says, honey, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? You see, Job's view of God is much bigger than most of us have. Job recognizes that God is sovereign and God is ultimately in control of all that happens to us because nothing can happen without his permission. God actually allows collateral damage to come into our lives. And he does not tell us why. All we have is that we have the promise from God's word In all things, God is working for our good. Part of the reason we experience collateral damage is that sin is real in the world today. And our own sin, your sin, my sin, is real in the world today. And it's causing collateral damage. Are we brave enough to consider how Our actions, our choices, our decisions are affecting and hurting others. You see, when we chose to disobey God, every one of us guaranteed ourselves a place in hell. For the scriptures tell us the wages of sin is death. The scriptures make it clear that one day after we die, we will go before a holy God and be found guilty of sinning. I don't think there's anybody alive today that will say, I will not be found guilty of sinning when I get to heaven. No, you're just counting on your good outweighing your bad. The penalty for sinning is to be cast into the lake of fire. You see, originally the lake of fire was created for the devil and his angels. But our disobedience to God made it a final destination for some of us as well. But God knows the pain of what eternal torment will be like for humanity. And even though we deserve to be cast from God, to continue to do our own thing, God loved us so much that God wanted to save us from our poor choices. God determined to destroy the grip of the lake of fire over our lives, but God could not do it without someone taking our place by removing our sin so that the penalty could be paid in full. Only a perfect life 
could be traded for our broken one. That's when God sent his son, Jesus Christ, in the world to live a perfect life so that he could be the exchange partner we needed. The mission was to rescue us from the lake of fire and bring us home safely to God the Father. The collateral damage was the cross for Jesus Christ. You see, there was no way we could be saved without the Son of God dying an excruciating death in our place to pay for our sins. Because the blood of Jesus Christ was worth more than all the gold and silver this world has combined. His blood and His blood alone had the potential to wash clean every human being, whether they were living dead or waiting to be born. When the soldiers pierced the side of Jesus as he hung on the cross and the blood came pouring out, it was the payment for our sins. For the scriptures tell us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin because of the collateral damage suffered and endured by Jesus Christ. The possibility for our future radically changed. By putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we were promised His payment on the cross would be more than sufficient to cover our sins. That's good news because it means you you can't do a sin greater. I can't do a sin greater than the blood of Jesus Christ can cover. We don't have to try to earn our way to heaven by doing good works. We only do good works out of appreciation of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus is the guarantee of our salvation and our faith and our confidence in him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ meant that God had fully accepted the payment and that a new power was available to us to live differently now. And that new power, my friend, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to dwell in you, to give you the life that God intended for you to have in relationship to Him. You know, when we look at the collateral damage in our own lives, know that God is going to make it up for us. If not in this life, then in the life to come. But we've got another promise in Scripture. It says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has the mind conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. My friends, when collateral damage comes your way, know that your faith is being purified by fire so that it may come forth as pure gold. Don't you dare for a moment think that God has forgotten about you. Let's pray. God, you are great and you are an awesome God. And Lord, we need you whether we recognize it or not. Pray for each and every one that's listened to this message today that we'd realize just how much you loved us and 
just how much you were willing to be collateral damage from our behavior in order for us to be saved. Let your love flow to whoever is listening, wherever they are, right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, your life may be full of a lot of things, but what we all really need is to make room for Jesus Christ in our lives. Jada is going to come and say, I will make room. Let's be blessed by her.